This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, welcome to a very calm, soothing edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. The last edition, which featured a lot of I don't know, irrational screaming, excitement, raw emotion. We have now had a little less than 24 hours to digest everything that happened in game one between the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. Mike Paseglia, are you calm? Are you relaxed? Are you mentally safe right now? Hmm. I wouldn't say I'm ever mentally safe in that regard with the Nets. It's always something to be worried about. Definitely do feel calmer. And I do want to tell you, I really enjoyed your last episode that you did, and I listened to that as I was going to sleep, as your your post-reaction leaving the arena. And my dad said to me he was really confused about how he felt after game one, and you gave him a lot of clarity because that's how he felt. And I wanted to make sure to tell you that, that you helped him out in understanding where things were with the Nets. But to go back to your question about how I feel, uh, yes, I'm a little calmer. Yes, I feel a little bit better than where things stood, I don't know, 43 seconds into the Nets game. But I feel like this adventure and journey is just beginning for Nets box. I have no idea what I said in that podcast. So I'm glad that it helped your father and I'm glad you enjoyed it. But I, I had sat down in my car with my wife after that game and I was emotionally exhausted and all I know is my wife kept chuckling throughout the podcast, but I have no idea what I said. All I know is that I feel actually pretty good. Uh, I, I don't necessarily believe the Nets medical update. And the update they basically gave today is it's a strain. Uh, Steve Nash said, hey, we're hopeful he's going to play in this series. My feeling is negative. And I don't think it's necessarily negative from just being who we are as Net fans. I think it's negative because... It's a hamstring issue, and I'm not an idiot. You know, I'm not new to sports. You're not new to sports, and we know how tricky hammies can be. We know that James Harden missed a bunch of time twice, once not as much time, the second time a lot of time because of a hammy. And I, I don't know. I just can't believe that he's necessarily going to play, you know, by next weekend. So that's my interpretation on their update, and I, I don't blame them for – not giving us mm -hmm. more information. I mean, if James Harden had a tear and they knew he was done for the next month, what benefit does it give the Nets to say that? Like, there's no benefit right. to it. You know, so you may as well keep that kind of that little seed out there of, hey, we're hopefully he's going to play in this series. I don't know if that gives you any advantage against Milwaukee, but I also understand strategically why you would give as little information as possible. 
Yeah, and if you remember too, I think is kind of in the timeline of James Harden hamstrings. He had the first hamstring, and then they brought him back, and we were like, "Oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's it's a it's a it's, it's nothing really to worry about. He'll be okay." And then he came back, and we all know what happened. And then he was out for the extended period of time. So, with that in mind, in the two timetables that we saw from James Harden when he was out. Is this one that was like the first time, although obviously they brought him back too soon because he was then out for an extended period of time? Or is this like the second one that we saw where he was done for four or five weeks or whatever it was? So with that in mind, it's like I'm playing this game in my head of like, what is the hamstring uh, truth and what is what is going to happen right. with him? Well, and it's like I, I guess we'll 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 find out, but also yeah, why why would you why would you want to tell people hey he's done like let the no. bucks sweat a little bit. There's no reason to. As much as we as fans want to know everything, I understand strategically not giving too much information. What I do find fascinating is that outside of the fact that Harden returned maybe too quickly in that game against the Knicks and re-injured his hamstring, outside of that example, which you can absolutely cite, you would agree that the Brooklyn Nets under Sean Marks have run a very conservative ship when it comes to injuries. Not just yeah. their handling this year of KD and Harden the second time and anyone else. But even before that, you know, the way they handled Brooke Lopez, they have really been conservative. And you've heard Sean Marks talk so much about the medical team and how much trust they put in them. And remember, when Durant and Kyrie Irving signed here and they had their first media day, one of the questions that was asked numerous times over and over again was about the Warriors handling of Durant, where Kyrie made the comment, I'm going to protect my guy. So knowing how conservative the Nets are, knowing that Durant obviously had his issue from potentially coming back too soon in the NBA finals with the Warriors, you've got that on one end. But, bro, you know what we have on the other end? James Harden wants to play. Mm -hmm. Like He is the deaf, especially with this team. You heard it in the Durant post game where Harden wants to be a part of this. This is yeah. a chance for James Harden to win his first ring. He is addicted to basketball. So mm -hmm. we may get a battle, a battle we may never see, but a battle between James Harden saying, my hammy's fine, get my ass in the game, and the Nets being conservative because they've always been conservative. I know it's a different environment. It's the second round of the playoffs, potentially a conference finals if they get past this round, but you've got the battle of Harden, who you know is going to want to come back as soon as possible, and the Nets, who have been ultra-conservative over the last few years. But you just said it. That's the part that makes this even more dynamic and crazy. And think about it is, yeah, they were conservative with guys, but it was because they were playing the Hornets on a back-to-back -back, or they were playing the Pacers in the middle of February. This is the second round of the NBA playoffs, and they are the closest they have been to winning a championship in God knows how long. They've got one win into the books against the Bucs. They are sensing a chance to win a title. We saw the Sixers earlier today lose to the Hawks. The Lakers are gone. The Clippers barely held on versus the Mavericks. Who the hell knows what's going to ha happen in the West? This is the best chance the Nets have had in 20 years to win, 18 years to win an NBA championship. So even though they're conservative with their mindset when it was a regular season game back in February or January, now we're talking about the playoffs versus the Bucks. I am like, if he's ready to go, I don't think the Nets hold back and they play their conservative game. I think unless, you know, unless it's like seriously the, hey, hey, James, this could hurt you like a really extreme examples. I think they pull the trigger and they just do it.
Well, I think medically the biggest risk he'd have is that he tears his hamstring, which is, you know, serious. It would obviously knock him out for the rest of this playoff run, but I think that's the biggest medical risk you have if he's not 100% on his hammy. I think also the way this series goes is going to dictate it in a big way. Obviously, we're off the high of winning game one, which was so important for many reasons. I think the way they did it was also incredible. You know, the fact that they basically blew them out. We saw them adjust in the second half, which we'll get to in a second. I think if they continue to win games, like they win game two, mm -hmm. they steal a game three in Milwaukee. Obviously, they would get very conservative with how they handle James Harden. But if the opposite happens and the Bucs respond in game two and all of a sudden the Nets are down two games to one, playing a huge game for next Sunday in Milwaukee. I don't know. Maybe the approach will be different. So I think the way this series goes is going to play a big part in it. But dude, I don't know how you felt. Actually, I know how you felt because we texted each other. But the <laughs> first 30 minutes after that injury, I'm at a playoff game. I'm obviously into it, but my brain was elsewhere. All I could think about is why us? You know, here we are. We've got these three superstars where the odds on favorites to win a title. And you got to be effing kidding me that 45 seconds in a game one of this second round, James Harden's blown out his hamstring. It was it was really, really weird kind of adjusting to that news or what we thought was going to be the news and then a game one against the Bucs where you don't want to give up home court advantage. Yeah, and the fact that it was so early into the game, it was you're all hyped up, all the experts on this series. Oh, the big three, oh, the big three, oh, the big three. Oh, they got the guys that can guard the big three and all of it. And then just it's, it's a, in a matter of seconds, in less than a minute, all of that changes. And I'm with you, Evan. I, 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 was, I felt numb. I, it was hard to focus and concentrate knowing that this season, in my head, I was like, we've waited all, all year for this. We played this game. Now here we are, and Harden's not there. It was incredibly difficult for me to focus. And I saw early on the score was twenty to eleven, and I just played the games in my head like this team is cooked. They have no, they have no options. They're not going to make it through this. And that's why I'm kind of curious on your end to ask you about this. A about the crowd, and then also I just found it amazing that the players were able. And this is this to me was the most amazing gut check because we talked about how we felt as fans that we felt down and disappointed as players to see one of your leaders, one of your stars go down that they were able to rally around that to me was the most impressive win I've seen from the Nets all season. Gaudy. It was gaudy. It was gritty. And, and who knows, maybe the fact that they have played shorthanded this entire season helps them, you know, maybe yeah. the fact that, they only played eight regular season games with the big three together. We saw a lot of KD Kyrie. We saw a lot of Kyrie James Harden. We saw very little of the KD Harden combo. But bottom line is, we saw a lot of this team with two superstars. In fact, that was the majority of the season. The majority of the games played this year featured two superstars. So I think for them, it's easier to adjust than any other team in this league. You know, I, I think it's just agreed. A bigger thing. Now, as far as the crowd is concerned, let's go backwards here. I thought game one, game two against Boston was awesome. You know, there were loud chants even before the game started. I thought it was really cool. Great playoff atmosphere. For whatever reason, the atmosphere for game five wasn't nearly as good. Um, wasn't awful. Wasn't pathetic. It just wasn't nearly as good, which is odd because you're up three games to one. You're closing a team out. You would think that would lead to greater electricity. As far as the Buck game is concerned, this may surprise you, but I want to be brutally honest. 
I thought the atmosphere right out of the gate, and I'm not talking about the Harden injury. I'm talking about the starting lineups being announced. I thought it was very mediocre, and it reminded me of game five, and I, I couldn't understand it because, again, I'm thinking to myself, why was there such an atmosphere for game one and two against hmm. Boston, and yet in the clincher and now game one against Milwaukee, the crowd seemed to be going through the motions, and it was packed. I mean, you know, besides the unvaccinated sections, which clearly are not going to be packed because they're not allowed to be packed, even though who's that douchebag who tweeted out the picture and tried to take a shot at net fans. What's that, that guy's was, name? Uh, Nick Wright. Nick Wright. Yeah, I, I I, have no idea why he would do that. I don't know if he was legitimately being dishonest or if he was confused. I don't know his gimmick. I guess people were telling me. Yeah, gimmick is putting down the nets and saying that they're just. Really? They don't have the capability to win a championship. Yeah. His so, gimmick I mean, is putting down the... I thought his... Someone told me his gimmick was a loves LeBron or something. He don't love LeBron, but he's been on the train the whole year that the Nets just aren't built for championship okay. success because of their defense. Now, gotcha. I, that, well, I don't know what that has to do with the crowd, but it's probably just playing into all that would be my guess. Okay. All right. I mean, listen, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's shtick. And if it's shtick, I fell right into it because I did tweet at him, hey... That's an unvaccinated section. I don't think it was stick. I think I think uh, maybe he probably found out and was like, at this point, yeah, whatever, it's there. But <laughs> I'm I, just gonna I think go he legitimately want to take a shot at him. Okay, so well, either way, the place was packed, but early on, starting lineup, and then yeah, as the game starts, and you can understand it with Harden, the crowd wasn't into it. But here's where the place was electric because it eventually became electric. It really started with the Blake Griffin loose ball. Mm. It stuck. And, and look, there's something about this city that we live in where we love that kind of grind. And it's the same way in hockey. It's the same way in baseball. Like, I'll give you a great example. At Yankee Stadium or City Field, fans will go nuts for a 13 pitch at bat. They'll just go mm. nuts for it. They'll get more into that than anything because this is like our mentality. We've got this grinded out mentality. And so when Blake Griffin is freaking wrestling on the ground for a loose ball, the place went ape shit. Oh, I, I am I supposed to come? Whatever. You get, you get the point. I cursed. I apologize. Place went nuts. I went nuts. I'll be the first to tell you. And from that moment on, it was an awesome atmosphere. It was an electric atmosphere. It was a playoff atmosphere. But. Yeah, it got off to a cool start. And again, prior to the Harden injuries, you can't even blame it on James Harden coming out with a hammy. But the rest of the night, the place was rocking. By the end, the loud Brooklyn chants. I thought it ended up being a great atmosphere for game one against the Bucs. I don't know how it comes across on TV. I always tell people you can't judge it on TV. And that's not to put you down or anyone down who's not there. There are plenty of sporting events I'm not at. And I always admit, like, it's very difficult to judge on TV. And when you try to make judgments on TV, you're probably being ignorant. Like you're, you're probably just because you don't know. You got to mm -hmm. be there. So I thought the place ended up being really, really awesome. That Blake play was something. I mean, it was that was the moment, I think, for myself personally, where I was like, all right. I understand James is out, but we got a basketball game to win. And it was like a, a switch. It was just flipped. Everybody, all of a sudden, me included, maybe the fans there just got into the moment and realized we got to go out here and win this game. And that was brings it back to I was so impressed that they could focus like that after losing James Harden. And it was one of those games, Evan, where it was the total team win. 
It wasn't the ISO ball. It wasn't any of that. It was complete team domination. And yes, Milwaukee missed a ton of easy shots, and they're going to make those shots, and I get that. But the defense was so much better in that game than we have seen from this squad. Nick Claxton blocking shots, Durant in the second half boxing out and getting rebounds. It was just a different mentality from them. And then Blake, even though he had 18 points and 14 rebounds, I wouldn't even say it was like the block score that it was indicative of how he played. It was the hustle plays, the passes to Bruce Brown. I mean, he put on display everything for the Nets. Joe Harris was knocking down shots. Bruce Brown with those little bunnies in the lane. Landry Shamit with the great dunk. Nick Claxton playing defense. You felt like you had a total team game because Durant was good. Kyrie was good, but they didn't take it to a special next level. They missed some shots that they normally make. It was just a total team effort, and on the defensive end, they gave one of their better efforts, and it was so good to see Milwaukee just basically get their ass kicked oh, in the second God. half. It was fat. And look, Blake Griffin was the player of the game. He was the player of the game because I think that play in so many ways, and I, I'm not even sure what the score was at the time, and quite frankly, I don't care. Like, I know it may not have led to any kind of run that broke Milwaukee because really the game changed with the adjustments they made in the second half, uh, specifically how well they rebounded because they were getting killed on the offensive glass. Brooke Lopez was just a beast and Brooke Lopez had no impact on the second half on the glass. And you mentioned KD blocking out. It was almost as if in that locker room at halftime, they said, look, the one thing that cannot happen again is we cannot let Brooke Lopez do whatever he wants on the offensive glass. He can't play volleyball and have a bunch of tip-ins. And there was just a different mentality in the second half. Look, the Bucs continued to miss shots. And I think a part of that was them just missing shots. A part of it was the Nets defended. And I think they contested every shot. Now, that's one of the differences. That's one of the differences between DeAndre Jordan being on the court and even a guy like Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's going to def- he's going to put a hand up and defend every freaking shot. Same thing with KD. One of Giannis's threes he hit top of the key. At least KD's putting a hand in his face. Like they're making some kind of effort. But I think the biggest difference was in the second half, they started rebounding. They didn't let the Bucs get second and third chance opportunities. But Blake, not just because of the hustle plays, which has been his identity since he's come here, but he also hit four threes. You know, I have to give him some credit for that. But in so, look, I'm not expecting 18, 14, and three from Blake Griffin. I'm not expecting him to hit four threes. I don't think you are either, but what we're expecting from Blake is the fact that his identity on this team is he is going to be on the freaking ground after every loose ball. He's going to attempt to take charges. He already leads the nets and charges taken. He showed up halfway through the season. That's his identity. And God bless him because you know what? He was so different from the guy we thought he was in Los Angeles with the Clippers and even with the Pistons, but he knows he needs to win a championship and he knows this is the role he has to have. So to me, he was the guy overall in game one. And another guy, I haven't brought him up yet, was Mike James coming in. Didn't play. I mean, he played a little bit in the Boston series, but it was all garbage time. Here he's coming in, not obviously expecting to get the kind of run that he had, but when Mm. James Harden goes out, all of a sudden the Nets need a guy that can be a playmaker, a ball distributor, and in comes Mike James, and he didn't miss a beat from where he was in the regular season, hitting three-point shots, getting into the paint, distributing the ball, helping on the glass. He had one play where he didn't get the rebound, but he tipped it over to Kyrie Irving, and it was just, I think of all those times when he was getting run because James Harden was out, 
And then, you know, now we look back on it. If Harden played all that time and was out now, we'd be like, oh, my God, who's Mike James? We haven't seen him. But you felt a little bit more comfortable because you've seen him a ton. And he just stepped in and did not miss a beat. And where would this Nets team really be without Mike James? You know, Chris Chioza goes out with the injury. The Nets bring this guy over from Europe. We're like, okay, we'll see what he's about. And here and there, he's made he's taken some bad threes, I would say. But overall, I mean, Mike James has been critical to the oh, Nets' God. success. And without, and without him... I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if they can get. I mean, I, I'm obviously we want James Harden there, but you feel a little bit more comfortable just knowing you have a capable ball handling guard that can play alongside Kyrie in tough minutes, dude. And he plays with a swagger. He he plays yes. with a lot of confidence. And sometimes there are guys who play with confidence who really shouldn't be playing with that kind of confidence, at least in his brief time here with the Nets, and certainly in Game One. He backs it up. I mean, the guy ended up playing 30 minutes in this game because Steve Nash Crazy. said, I got to keep playing him. The guy earned the 30 minutes that he played. And look, I love the fact that it is now playoff time and there are no minute restrictions with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I mean, those two bastards were going to play the entire game. I think Kyrie ended up playing nearly 45 minutes in this game. And that is why. And I'll remember this next season during the regular season. That is why. You maintenance guys, that is why you put minute restrictions on them. Because right now, bro, are we thinking at all about the back-to-back that Kyrie didn't play in March or the game in January where they restricted his minutes? We're not because none of it matters. This is what matters. You know, him being conditioned Mm -hmm. and ready to play 45 freaking minutes. And look, I don't know what Budenholzer is going to do. But one thing we saw from game one is Giannis has to play 44 minutes. He tried to hide Giannis and steal minutes with Giannis on the bench. And I don't think they can do that. At least they couldn't in game one when they weren't getting contributions from Pat Connaughton and Bryn Forbes, who scared us coming into the series and still may stick it to us. Like, I thought they were way too conservative with their usage in Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I thought Steve Nash basically took his foot and shoved it on the gas and said, hey, I got to play Durant and Kyrie 40 plus minutes. There's a reason why I rested these guys all freaking season so I can use them in this moment. Yes, and that was good to see because of all the back-to-backs and all of those times. It's like, yes, this is the time to do it. This is the time to play. This is this was Kyrie's uh, most minutes that he played in a in a game that did not go into overtime all season long. These are the moments to do it because let's be honest. Like you said, nobody remembers when you talk about the March, the back-to-back. Who they play? Who did you win? Did you lose? Nobody knows. But you'll remember this game and you'll remember the behind the back pass that Kyrie had to Kevin Durant when they were playing most of the fourth quarter. And I will say this too, and this was a huge difference in this game. We talked about it from the team, the total team standpoint is the Bucks role players were terrible. They did nothing for this team. They Connaughton was terrible. Forbes was bad. Lopez was a non-factor in the second half. Middleton, a star did nothing in the game. He had a couple of transition baskets, but he was non-existent. The Milwaukee Bucks, backups the milwaukee bucks bench was terrible dude the, the only was good such the, a difference such a difference the only guys that played well overall for the bucks was Giannis and brooke lopez in the first half i mean you hit on it drew holiday wasn't great chris middleton was a mess their bench sucked when they actually went to guys whether it was jeff teague or pat Connaughton or bryn forbes and i i don't know the reason for this 
and I, I've noticed this a lot watching the NBA playoffs, not just our team, but other teams. It seems like role players tend to suck on the road and play a lot mm-hmm. better at Crazy. home, more so than superstars. And I'm not really necessarily sure the reason, but you hit on it like the Nets won this game. Game one and a big reason why the Nets got the two seed. Let's keep this in mind, considering how many games missed by Durant, by James Harden and and the sum that were missed by Kyrie Irving. The reason they got the two seed was because of those guys, because of guys like Joe Harris, because eventually guys like Mike James and Blake Griffin, Landry Shaman, Nicholas Claxton. That's how they got there. So these guys have worlds of experience having to step up and play well, like you mentioned. But, you know, you said something before. It's so true. Yes, the Bucs didn't shoot the ball well. We all know that. They will shoot better from three. I expect a much better performance in game two from a guy like Chris Middleton. But Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were okay. I mean, for their standards, they were okay. You know, they were 23 for 51 from the field. For them, that's... That's okay. That's not amazing. They only got to the free throw line a combined four times and it was all Kevin Durant. So they weren't owning the free throw line, which they can do at times. They were good. They were not great. And yet the Nets blew them out. I know it was an eight point game, but it was certainly a lot more than that. Mm. So while I agree, the Bucs will play better. Middleton will be better. Holiday will be better. And I think eventually some of their bench guys will play better. You have to think we will get more monster performances out of KD and Kyrie. And I'm not even mentioning James Harden. So you're right. It's not like those guys lit it up in game one. And that's why the Nets won. Yeah, KD, I went back and I watched uh, this like condensed package where they just show all of the different plays of the game, make or miss. And Durant missed a lot of open shots. He missed a lot of mid-range shots that he typically gets. He got his points in like bunches. He would get a little hot and then he would get cold. He would get hot and he would get cold. But it wasn't the kind of Durant game where it was set on automatic and he was making every single mid-range shot. And Kyrie missed a bunch of threes where they were clutch. They just made shots when they needed to. And that was a big difference that when they needed a basket – they were there to, to, to put it home. But, yeah, they weren't sensational. And what's so wild about that to me, Evan, is the fact that they didn't have James Harden and, and, and yet they went out and won. And that just puts it all together with that total team effort. And, yeah, the road players, the, the, the role players on the road in the playoffs have just been different guys. If you look back at that Celtic series, the game where Boston was able to get a win, they were getting big performances from Fournier. It was huge for them. And then the net role players went on the road and couldn't do anything as much in that game three. I don't know what it is about that, but it just seems to always happen. And that's why, like, I I know when the Nets go back to Milwaukee, Connaughton's going to make those threes. Forbes is going to make those three. P.J. Tucker in the corner is going to happen. Like, you know it's going to happen. So I this it's it's obvious, but they get game two, and you just – you're protected your home court – and then you can just like, let's keep moving this forward. And we don't have to play around in Milwaukee. Get those two at home. I'm just like, I'm very fired up for this. I'm like, I'm ready for Monday night now. Like, let's just it, do it. It's weird yeah. as a, as a sports fan, we haven't had that much experience having home court or home field advantage. You know, a lot of the times when our teams are in the playoffs, they have to start on the road. And those rare times we have home court, it reminds me of how I like it. Cause it means you have game seven in your building. But I hate it because usually when you go into a series with game one and two on the road, the pressure's off. It's like, all right, let's just steal a game. Let's get back tied one, one. And we feel good about it. 
while when you have home court like this, all the pressure is on because I feel that exact same way. Great. We won game one. That was fantastic. It was a great game. We just waxed poetic about it. But how are we going to feel for a couple of days if they lose game two in their building? And now all of a sudden this scene shifts to Milwaukee where the pressure is on to somehow get a game there and bring this back to Brooklyn 2-2. So it it does feel like there's a lot of pressure on Monday night. Um, I I don't want to say certain things I think about Giannis. I almost want to wait for the series 10 before I say anything about Giannis. Yeah, I get it. Let's all use osmosis to read each other's minds about Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I will say this. The Nets put a clock when he went to the free throw line that went to 10. Because obviously there there is a rule that's rarely enforced, though we saw it enforced in the Miami series once, where you only get 10 seconds to shoot a free throw. Giannis took three free throws. None of them occurred. Inside the 10 seconds, all three of them should have been violations based on when that clock started. And the crowd reacted in a major way when the clock hit 10. Giannis Mm -hmm. went 0 for 3 from the line. So I don't know if this is going to be a thing, if this is going to be an issue. I think it's easy to gloss over it because it wasn't a close game. So it's not like Giannis was taking big free throws with four minutes to go in the game. One point game. Uh, I think one of them was to complete an N1, and there was one other time he was fouled. And, and they weren't in moments that, you know, you're going to remember for an eternity. But keep an eye on that, because I did notice, you know, crowd was getting on him, clock was going to 10, and Giannis went 0 for 3 from the line. Did they call it one time in the Miami series against yes. him? I feel like I want to say that happened. What What is the general rule? Just like we 10 seconds. Just let's. No, no, no. But the but then not they don't call it. No, like they're just like yeah, they it's never a call rule, it. But we're not gonna do it. Like we're 100%. just like unless they got a you know went to forty two seconds and they're like well we gotta call it now. But they never call it. They never. They, there are some rules in sports that they just never ever enforce, and that's why when it was called and look, it was called in a big spot. That was the other thing. There was about a minute and a half to go in that game. A game obviously Milwaukee ended up winning since they swept them. Um, so it's rare to be called. I'm not expecting it to be called. I'm not even bitching that it wasn't called. I'm just hoping this is a thing that affects him at the line, because if Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to miss big free throws, and I'm not saying he did on Saturday night because he only went to the line three times, and I wouldn't say any of them were necessarily big, but if he is going to miss big free throws, I mean, it is going to change your philosophy late in the game. Let's be honest. You're going to put him on the line. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, he no, I no, I tip. I, I understand it. That's why Middleton's their closer when they go when they need a basket at the end. It isn't the the two time MVP, which is just all of it is just so bizarre with Giannis. And I liked the Nets' strategy. And again, this wasn't DeAndre Jordan covering him, but at least I would say the Nets did not just vanish the perimeter and let Giannis shoot wild. There were times where they 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 kind of gave him a little space and dared him to shoot. But it wasn't the our strategy is let me just dip back, go into the paint and say you get a free shot. I was so happy to see they did not do that. And Giannis hit one three, I believe, or maybe it was two at the top of the key. And he had a couple of jumpers, but it was just not the sag off defense completely. And that worked a lot better than let's just let Giannis do anything he wants and give him confidence. At least they put a hand in his face. They went out on him on the perimeter and made him take tough shots. It was good to see that the coaching staff learned from their mistakes in those two regular season games in Milwaukee. 
And I think a lot from those two games, a lot was learned from the Nets. And I know a big fear going into this playoffs was the coaching staff, especially against Coach Bud. But uh, Steve Nash, to his credit, they they put on they, they had a good. That was the best that the, the coach. That was really the best the coaching staff's been in a game plan. We'll see the adjustments Milwaukee's makes, but it was the, it was a decent coaching philosophy from the Nets, and it worked, and it, the whole thing worked. And they didn't dust off DeAndre Jordan, which I don't think they're going to do because with how often they switch and the fact that DeAndre doesn't believe in guarding the perimeter, I, I don't know if DeAndre Jordan at any point in this series makes sense. You know, we'll see as the series goes on. But for those few reasons, I'm not sure we're going to see him. So are you confident? Are you feeling good? Where are you? Um, I'm confident I'll never be because I just that's just not in my nature to feel confident about my sports teams. I feel good. I feel I feel ready. I don't know how to explain it. I'm not I'm not feeling good or confident. I'm just I'm just ready. Like I'm just ready for these games and I'm ready to see what the Nets can do. And I'm just ready for the explosion and just to pop the building off and just keep this good vibe going. But I do know game two, one loss, it can just change everything. And I it's a cliche. And I I and I try to uh, abides by it, but I never do. It's like, I oh, don't get too high or don't get too low. I get too high and I get too low and I can't help myself. And right now I'm just trying to temper myself here and understand that that was one win. They've got to get the second one. They just lost James Harden. Will we get him back? Maybe protect the home court, continue the stingy defense and let's go to Milwaukee up to nothing. If I told you, you, am I confident? Is that your question? <laughs> I'm just following up. I'm asking the same one. I didn't want to answer it. No, I, there. I'm very similar to you. It's it's yeah. tough. I've seen so much negative in my sports lifetime that it's tough to be rational and say, well, here are the X's and O's reasons while I'm really, really confident. Uh, I still right. fear this team a little bit. I still fear having to go to Milwaukee back tied 1-1. And I still fear the idea that, look, Giannis Antetokounmpo is an incredible, incredible player. And one thing throughout the history of this sport is usually incredible players will get over their demons in the postseason. Uh, we've seen it throughout mm. history. We've seen it with guys we don't even think of. I mean, Michael Jordan had to overcome demons in the postseason. It's not like he was winning championships right out of the gate. Um, so that scares me. That's why when I want to make negative comments about what I've seen from Giannis in the postseason and the skepticism I have about him as a great player, this is the part of me that stops that myself from saying that because right. I've seen it. I've read about it. I know about how players can overcome it. And so I don't want us to be the reason why they overcome it. Yeah. Uh, the Mets had a 3-0 lead against the Chicago Cubs in the 2015 NLCS. And there was a part of me that said they're going to win a World Series someday. Much like the Red Sox had to come back from 3-0 down against the Yankees I don't want to be on the wrong side of something historic. And so until they got right. the final out in game four, yes, it was in the back of my mind of this is the Cubs. You know, this could be how they break the curse. Obviously on a different scale, that's where I get very nervous about this series. Right. But I make you this promise, all right? I make everybody listening this promise. If we win this series, right, especially without James Harden, I think we'll go into the conference finals with 
a major, major confidence. I mean, I think you and I may start talking about, wow, okay, we really are going to win the whole goddamn thing. Uh, so I think winning this series will go a long way for net fans like us who go back to Jersey and have that negativity in the back of our mind. I think it will go a long way to kind of changing who we are as people and the confidence that we have that this really could be our time. Yeah. I have to remind myself of how good these, these guys are and how good Kevin Durant is and how good Kyrie Irving is like, they'll make shots that I'm used to not seeing go in. And it brings me back to what you just said of, yes, this is a good team. Cause I'm just so used to when the shoe's going to drop, when the other shoe's going to fall, whatever it is, like, when is the bad moment coming and it hasn't yet. And even though Harden getting hurt, that's where I psychologically went. So that's why I just kind of bring it back full circle that they could overcome that kind of adversity and just beat the crap out of Milwaukee felt really, felt really good. And then we saw today the Sixers uh, almost came back in a wild finish, but it, Atlanta took care of them. So Philly's already down one, nothing. <laughs> so you're, you're rooting for Atlanta. Is that what you're doing in that other? No, Eastern Conference I'm not, I mean, I know, but you, that's, you be careful what you wish for, but the Nets could get there. Part of me does. I, Part of me does think it would be pretty sweet if the Nets could get to the finals and just and put it to the Sixers, I think would be pretty fun because they're they're a team that's pretty annoying if you're a Nets fan. You know what, though? I, I got to tell you, because it's easy to have our minds wander. You know, we saw the L.A. Lakers get knocked out a couple of days ago. And so that dream, if you had it, of a net Laker NBA finals is gone. We did see the LA Clippers advance. So if you're fantasizing about the little brothers of LA versus the little brothers of New York as an NBA finals, it's still there. As much as my mind wanders to, if we win, who would I rather play? If we win again, who would I'd rather play at the end of the day? I don't really care. You know, yes. if we're sure, winning a championship, it really doesn't matter. You know, the 1998 Yankees beat the San Diego Padres in the World Series. And I don't mean to take a shot at the San Diego Padres, but the San Diego Padres, whatever. It doesn't matter. Sure. It's it's that they won the World Series. It's that they won 114 regular season games. It, it just doesn't matter when the Mets play the Royals in the 2015 World Series. We have no history with the Kansas City Royals. There's nothing magical about the Royals. But if the Mets won the World Series, it was going to be magical. So whether it's Atlanta or Philadelphia, whether it's Utah or Denver, Denver is kind of cool, by the way. Uh, just a quick history lesson. Hmm. The last ABA finals, 1976, won by the New York Nets was against the Denver Nuggets. So hmm. that would be kind of cool. And sign me up. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right. But it does, but dude, Phoenix, yeah. Denver, the Clippers, whatever. I mean, if we're sitting there in the NBA finals, who cares? And if we win a championship at the parade, we're not going to be thinking about who we beat in the NBA finals or who we beat in the conference finals. So my natural reaction is to root against teams I don't like. So I don't like the Philadelphia 76ers. So yeah, I was enjoying Trey Young beating his ass, but I wasn't necessarily doing it for any selfish net reason, because like you said, be careful what you wish for. If the Atlanta Hawks are sitting there in the Eastern Conference Finals, obviously they've earned it. They destroyed mm -hmm. in five. They, for the most part, destroyed Philadelphia in game one. They deserve our respect. They deserve everybody's respect with the way they Yes. Do.
Yeah, no, you can't. If, if you're whoever you're facing, if it's in that round, they got there for a reason. You can't overlook squads. I think that goes without saying. And yeah, Atlanta's been hot. Trey Young's been great. And uh, Atlanta's a fun basketball team just to watch in general if you're a fan of hoops. All right, now I need to address something with you. You seem very, very sensitive on Twitter in dealing with either net haters or Nick fans. Why are you engaging and why are you letting them bother you? Good point. Um, there, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. And I've been pretty good about it for the most part. Uh, and I'll, I'll, let me just kind of workshop this through. Cause I didn't think this question was coming. So I got to kind of figure it out in my head. <laughs> Sorry. And this is something that people have talked to me. No, no, don't, don't need to apologize. I I'm getting annoyed of the fact when I saw there was somebody in particular who did it after the Knicks lost and their, in their shot was, well, there's no relevant basketball left in New York to be played. And I just got offended by that because after you got your ass kicked to not have the humility to feel like, Hey, you know what? We didn't play well, but to then take a shot at the other team locally in town really pissed me off, to be honest. And for some reason, it set me off a little bit in the last couple of in the last couple of days, where I'm getting annoyed by them again. And I, you're right, I shouldn't be as into it as I am, but it's this seeing that just kind of pissed me off because there is another team in this town, and there are net fans, and there are excited fans, and I'm not saying there are as many as the Knicks, and they're not the Knicks. I get that they're not even close to the Knicks. They are the alpha team in the area. But they have to understand there is another team and there are good basketball fans and there are smart net fans and there are passionate net fans. And it's just starting to get on my nerves when we are just pushed aside like we don't exist. And yeah, it, it, it hit a nerve a little bit and it, and it got under my skin a lot. <laughs> I hope that answers your question. That was a, it was a fine answer. It was a fine answer. Just remind yourself, we've got bigger fish to fry. And what we need to fry is the Milwaukee Bucks in game two. Take this crap back to Milwaukee up 2-0 where all the pressure's on them. Uh, I can't promise you that I'll do a drive-home reaction to game two, but we'll see. It's possible. I, I don't know how I'm going to feel, but uh, let's, say, let's stay optimistic. Let's hope for the best. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.